Hey guys, um, if you're joining us here, we are doing a very special um, kind of segment here on Media Central Workers, just trying to deal with everything that's going on in the world right now. We're going to be joined by quite a few people. Uh, we have Jeremy Ross from CBS2, who's going to be joining us. He's been doing a lot of the coverage so far. We have uh, John Rizzo, who's the business agent for IBEW. He'll also be joining us. But uh, we're also very excited to have a few people who are in the security industry. Bob Lazo, many of you know him. Um, we've utilized him exclusively and extensively at NBC. So we're going to have them all kind of join the conversation with us. I'm going to start by, um, well, actually, you know what? Let's punch everybody up, um, make it a free call. Um, so guys, we'll start with you, Jeremy, then John, and then the dynamic duo over here, kind of introduce yourselves and talk about uh, what we're doing here today. I guess, uh, I guess I'll start out first. Um, my name is Jeremy Ross, and I'm a reporter from uh, CBS2. And for uh, Saturday and Sunday, I've been covering uh, a lot of the, uh, um, the protests and unrest. And, and those two, I should point out, are uh, very different from one another and uh, do not, uh, from what I have seen, included the same people from Group A to Group B. And that said, um, we've seen uh, a lot of looting. We have seen fires. And uh, on one occasion, uh, I have crew members who insist that they also uh, saw people with guns firing them at uh, store windows. And uh, I can get into that a little bit later. You can be assured we immediately left and went to safety uh, when that occurred. Uh, but that's kind of uh, a summary of some of the things that I've seen over the weekend. And I'm glad that we are talking about uh, safety given uh, some of the observations. All right, um, John, we're gonna get to you and just real quick for all our viewers watching, if you wanna chime in, ask questions, you're more than welcome to do so. If you post something in the comments, we'll be able to get it and kind of address it. Uh, John, tell us a little about what you do. Um, I, I'm with NABET, I'm the vice president of NABET Local 41, representing uh, people at certain stations. I know you represent the guys at the other stations. Tell us who you represent and uh, what you've been dealing with. Well, um, as you stated uh, earlier, I'm the business manager of uh, the IBW local here, uh, here in Chicago. Um, we represent uh, locally in town CBS, uh, WTTW, uh, WGN Television, uh, WYCC, and, and uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, WCIU. YCC is no longer with us, unfortunately, um, and, and and you know several other radio stations and whatnot. So uh, along along with a, a huge freelance population, so. Um, you and I, Raza, have been, have been texting pictures to each other and, and, and both our, uh, both the stations that we represent of, of vehicles being, uh, spray painted and broken into and, uh, property being stolen and that sort of thing. We have, uh, clips of my folks, uh, at WGN, um, being, uh, being harassed in a crowd and having to, to leave their vehicles. And we've seen footage of that. So, uh, right now I'm just, I'm just listening and learning and, and seeing what uh, your folks recommend. Um, we're in close contact with our stewards, these stations trying to keep our people safe, the news directors trying to keep our people safe. So um, it's an evolving thing. Plus, we, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we have that as well to consider. Uh, you know, it's not just it's not just guns and, and sticks and rocks. It's uh, it's a small, tiny virus that, that you can't stop. So we want to keep everybody safe, and, and I'm here to, to, to listen and learn and, and hopefully bring some 
something back and keep our folks uh, folks safe. Um, very good. And, and one of the things that I think it's very important to address, like you said, we're still in the climate where we're dealing with the virus. There's a lot of unknowns out there. We were told for, for the last couple of months to socially distance to make sure that we are not in a position where we're exposing other people to this. And then within a matter of a, a couple of days, we're thrown into another situation where, um, Jeremy, you know this as well as Usher will be joining us shortly. We were initially told to stay in different vehicles altogether just because we wanted to make sure we had that social distance. And now in a situation where we're covering protests, we are riding along with security reporters. We're trying to find that that good balance between everything. Um, and, and speaking about uh, the protests, that's something that our, our, our two security consultants know a lot about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it to you to introduce yourself and talk about Let's first talk about how you got into this industry, what your relationships were with the television stations, and then get into um, what we're dealing with now particularly. Bob, let's start with you. Um, and actually, Bob, yeah. let's start with you again. Um, it looks like your mic was muted. Let's- Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Now, I spent 33 years with the Chicago Police Department, and uh, I used to be, I started out doing security for, believe it or not, Jenny Jones about 20 years ago. And one of the general managers from NBC asked me if I did side work. And I said, yeah. So in 2001, I started doing the marathon, the Chicago marathon. And we did security for them and we're still doing it to this day. And that's how I got started actually with NBC, just by the general manager asking me to do security. And my wife, Barbara, she has been with me ever since. We've both been doing security and consulting for NBC. So uh, I think one of the things that has been a challenge, I know uh, when I spoke to some of the security is just getting around, just meeting up with some of your crews was logistically a challenge. It, it, it seems like in general, I'm hearing this from various TV stations, still a problem sometimes to get security out to the crews. Has, has this been something that's always been an issue? Is there more complexities with what's going on now? No, we've been doing pretty good as far as coming into the tower and meeting the crews or we'll meet them off site somewhere where they'll give us an address. And this is the first time we've been using our own personal cars to meet the crews to keep them safe. Okay. Um, let's go over a little about the experiences. I know Sarah, my wife, uh, is producing with us. She's off camera. I kind of want to talk about some of the um, the different dynamics of, of covering this protest as opposed to other things, again, because there's a pandemic. Sarah, if you got some of those pictures that you can pop up showing what the scenes are like in Chicago, um, I'd like to make sure that our viewers also get an opportunity to see, like, as with most protests, we're often caught we have to cover the whole picture. We have to be objective, make sure everyone's voice is out there. But, but I mean, for instance, here's, um, we're, we're sometimes caught between protesters more often, um, not more often, but as often. Sorry if you could put the other picture up there. We've also seen shots in this situation where sometimes it appears at least that, that we're being um, in the line of fire of police, like with these rubber bullets. Um, and what was very particularly kind of um, astonishing in how egregious it was, Sarah, if you got that video, if you can play one of our crews, as a matter of fact, was uh, relieved of their cameras. And, and then I don't know if they were the perpetrators. I don't know if uh, there was someone who happened to then get uh, custody of these cameras, posted video on social media. Sarah, if you play that out for us. Um, and essentially it looks like we can't get audio here, but they narrate that they have a camera. Um, 
and, and that it's now up for sale or auction. So I believe that there may have even been security at this. So l l let's talk about that, Bob, if, if you could kind of tell us about some of the challenges that, uh, that are faced in situations like this um, and how you guys are able to deal with this. Yeah, that, that happened uh, when the crew was on 75th Street. I think it was 405 75th Street. Anyway, they were there supposedly going to take a shot of a cleanup area. That's what they were told. So we went out there in three cars, camera guy, the reporter, and the security officer. They were told, if you don't clear, we're going to vandalize your car, so you better get out of here. So the reporter, female reporter, got in her car, security officer, Officer got in his car, blocked the road. The camera guy was putting his gear away, hit the button for the tailgate to go down. He was walking to the driver's side. Within those few seconds, this young guy ran up, took his camera, and took off. That's how that happened. They were told to get out of the area or their cars will be damaged. So they heeded that warning. So, so one of the things I'm realizing is that this is a very quickly and fluidly, rapidly changing situation. It doesn't even matter if, if, if police necessarily are there or security. These things can quickly change, um, almost maybe at the blink of an eye. Jeremy, I was watching some of your coverage. Maybe you could talk to us something about uh, what you've witnessed as well. And uh, in terms of uh, changing in a blink of an eye is exactly the right way to describe it. Um, I will first immediately say that uh, CBS2 has done a really good job of monitoring our safety and security. Uh, they have considered using professional security. They have also made sure that we are in groups of at minimum three so that there is someone who can watch our backs when we are broadcasting with a photojournalist and another reporter. I was actually uh, on uh, Sunday one of two reporters uh, to help out in that situation. But to your point about things changing in a blink of an eye, we were covering a very peaceful protest in Hyde Park. And we got back to our vehicle, which was in an empty commercial lot with a store or two that was closed out. And they had um, bars on the front, uh, kind of like garage door, for lack of a better word, that was down and secure. And myself, a photojournalist and a reporter, were calling in just to find out where we had to go next. And during that three-minute call, it went from peace and quiet in a parking lot to more than a dozen people showing up and breaking into a store right behind our car. And, you know, it was all of a sudden, uh, this was no longer a safe place for us to be. So like any station in around Chicago, when we felt that we were not in a safe place, we got out of there quick. Um, and that was in only a matter of maybe a minute or two. We got out of there, we of course called the police, and um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a scary situation. Uh, you, know, you, you had people breaking into a highly secured business, stealing whatever they could find. It was actually a beauty shop. Uh, and uh, there is video somewhere on that. In addition, we were um, uh, off of Michigan Avenue and uh, near the river. And, you know, we, we saw from about 80 or 90 yards away, a very safe distance away, some people that were starting to bash in a window. So a photojournalist and I, as well as another photojournalist, again, a team of three, were, were, were filming uh, behind cover, watching things develop, we felt safe, and all of a sudden, 
one of the crew members believe that one of the looters took out a gun and started shooting at the window. Basically, as soon as we heard that, per station policy, and it's the policy of many stations around Chicago, we get out of there. And we headed right to a, uh, an area with lines of police officers, told them about the situation, and, uh, and got to safety. So it can change in a heartbeat. And uh, you know, I'll also add that in the city of Chicago, crime can happen anywhere. But over the last weekend and over the last few days, uh, that has intensified and it's become uh, more of a scary situation. Um, Bob, we were talking earlier and, and you had mentioned that uh, as security, when a situation is rapidly changing like that, always listen to security. Kind of, kind of tell me about that. What has your experience been in situations like this? And what do you use? I'm sure you have an awareness of the situation everywhere. And just to kind of remind people and tell people who aren't familiar with this, when the photographer is shooting, they're kind of blind. They have a big blind spot to everything going here. There's, there's that concept of tunnel vision. Even the reporter who, you know, they're looking and they're very focused on what it is they're doing. What's the job of security here? And, and what do you do to make sure that everyone, yourself included, is safe as we go forward? Well, usually I have kind of a, a code word for them when we want to get out of there. My, my, the one I use a lot is I have my cell phone with me. And I'll tell the reporter, the camera guy, hey, we got a call here. We have to get out of here now because you have to get this kid out. In other words, get in safe in a safe passage there. That's my code. I'll tell him you got a phone call, end your segment, and that's it. And that's the way we back out real nice and get out of there. And they don't know, the people around us don't know what's going on. This way we can get out of there without disturbing anything. And we're in safe, safe place to get out. That's the way I handle it. I, I think that's a great idea. And, and just the, the aspect of, of doing it without creating a um, sort of maybe a scene or a commotion, but doing it a, a, as sleuth as possible kind of raises me or, or, or makes me um, wonder. I, I've often told people, you know what, if you don't need to use lights, don't go blasting your lights on, commanding attention. Is that something you have an opinion on after having done this for a while? And, and just what are some recommendations that you give your crew? You get in a car with somebody, you guys are headed What's, what are you telling them? Just to be careful and we try and find out what location we're going to, because like I said, we're giving bad information as far as that when the camera was taken, it was supposed to be just a cleanup area shot. There were over a hundred people there when they told us or told it, the guys there, get out of there, we're gonna vandalize your cars. As a, you know, so much for being a safe spot to go film. So you have to learn to get better intelligence from who's ever calling into the, the station or, you know, I don't know who does the location shots for the guys to go out there. They've got get better information for your journalists, your camera guys, because you don't want to go into some situation that you're going to be really surprised what the hell's going on. You don't want that surprise. If I might add something to that. Absolutely, Barbara. Jeremy, you seem like you, you, you know what's going on and that's part of it is being aware as the journalist, knowing what's going on, knowing when to leave, um, actually staying on the fringes of the protest would be a safe, safer place than being in the center of it, trying to get the shot that way, and, and just you know backing off when you need to. And, I, and I'm going to add this, and I appreciate that, because that's just uh, part of uh, general awareness, having your head on a swivel, uh, mm -hmm. which I know a lot of security folks will, will constantly say that that's really important. Right. Um, and I think that more and more newsrooms are starting to realize that while they want us to be 
um, you know, tweeting and making sure that we're posting on social media. During situations like that, it is not time to be on the phone. It is time to have your eyes up, uh, looking wherever possible. And uh, for some of the younger reporters that I'm working with, you know, I've, I've had to, you know, over against, I've had to pull them aside and say, look, you know, your boss is going to be okay if you're not posting because you have to have situational awareness. If your eyes, if your concentration is on your phone, you're not looking at the crowd around you. And uh, that's something that, that people need to really take more seriously in the situation. If, if I may add, one of, one of our biggest problems seems to be, and, and Raza, you probably run into this from time to time, is we have much smaller crews. Um, due to budget cutbacks, uh, we used to have uh, two technicians uh, that would be on, on site a photog and, and a possible audio person, uh, as well as the reporter and sometimes a producer. But the more bodies you have, the more eyes you have in the street. Now, they might not be effective at stopping an entire mob, um, but at least they have enough eyes. When you're a sole camera person, you have one eyeball. That's it. The other is taken up by a camera, and you cannot see out of this side of your face. Now, about 10 days ago, one of our reporters at WGN uh, Gainer Hall, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but somebody ran out from the middle of nowhere from a blind spot from a cameraman who couldn't stop it, grabbed her and shouted profanities and then zipped off. And this was right before uh, the protests had started. So there has been a big demand for additional crew people to kind of keep their head on the swivel um, so that the reporters can do their job and be safe and the technicians <laughs> are being used as the front line. And unfortunately, companies for the past few years have been saying, well, it's your job if you don't feel safe to get out. And, and you folks are right. I mean, you, you have to get more information to that desk from that desk and not be assigned, you know, by the assignment desk into some dangerous situations. Now, you know, like, like we were just talking about where a situation turned within three minutes to all of a sudden, oh my gosh, here it, it's right here on our doorstep. We're watching this looting happening. And there was nobody here a second ago. You know, those are the types of things. It's like, hurry up, where's our exit plan? How do we get out of here? Now, we've dealt with that in the past with NATO, G, you know, the G8 summit and those types of things, bulletproof vests, helmets, um, you know, gas masks, uh, rooms rented above the fray, um, to get shots of streets and things like that. This is one of those instances, and, and albeit it's dying down now, but you know we need to be aware in the future when these things spring up, stations need to be ready to protect their people. If you're just joining us right now, and thank you for that, John, I think that's a, a very apt point that, that we, don't, we just don't have the bodies out there like we used to. We need to make sure that there are enough people to be just situationally aware of everything going on around us because the big thing is we got to have people who um, are looking out for each other in the field like that. If you're just joining us now, it's myself, Raza Siddiqui, Vice President of at 41, Jeremy Ross. We have John Rizzo, business agent of IBW, um, Bob Lazo, Barbara. Um, give us the name of your uh, security company one more time. Uh, security Consultants. Yeah, that's easy enough to remember. Security <laughs> Um, they've been working quite a bit with NBC, and I'm seeing yeah. a waiting room here. Someone that uh, speaking of NBC, a lot of NBC people are familiar with, um, and that's Usher Qureshi. Going to pop him up right now. 
Usher, how are you doing, man? Um, you got the background, everything going? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I've just been uh, listening to the discussion. And, you know, one of the interesting things that, that we sometimes hear, especially on the local side, um, you know, that was touched upon is this, this idea that you shouldn't be in a situation where, you know, it could get dangerous, right? One of the things I heard from um, management at one point at one of the places I worked was that if you need a helmet or you need a gas mask, you shouldn't be doing anything. You should be gone, basically. And, um, you know, that, that that's all well and good in practice. But as you guys all know, over the last few weeks with, you know, we don't look for this kind of trouble, right? You, you try and find a good vantage point where you can get the images that are necessary to, to relay that to the audiences. Um, in, in my situation, we had a very, very, um, you know, um, safe situation a couple of years ago when I was in Ferguson. And, you know, you look this up, this is this is one of the big ones that happened in, in that first week in Ferguson was we were set up outside, uh, you know, about a mile, mile and a half from where, you know, the epicenter of these these protests were happening because there was a perimeter, there was a lockdown. So we couldn't get in there and we didn't have any interest to go there at that point because we had choppers up and we were we were basically away from the action, but we were gonna do a live interview with the guests. And obviously if you're gonna, you're gonna interview somebody, you're gonna find a very safe place to do that in. And we did that in a neighborhood adjacent to the main strip, but still a mile away. We couldn't even hear what was going on in the protest. That's how far away we were. And part of why we set up there was because there were police squad cars that had blocked off access to that street. And so there was still a background and you could tell, okay, this is as far as we could get. This is as close as we could get to the action without being in the midst of it to, to do this interview. And what ended up happening to us was, you know, our backs were to that, that intersection. We had an escape route in front of us, but shortly afterwards, those two uh, squad cars took off and an MRAP rolled up along, you know, adjacent parallel to where we were. And uh, without warning, rubber bullets, tear gas, all shot in our direction, even though we had cameras, lights set up, very easy to see that we were a crew, nothing going on around us, no no protesters, no looting, no rioters, none of that. So, you know, you never can tell where that danger is going to come from. We had no anticipation that in a quiet neighborhood adjacent to where um, there, you know, there, there were some protests that we would be you know, targeted in that way. And so, you know, and so we didn't have gas masks ready at the ready because we had no reason to, to have them at the ready. And so, you know, we just have had to take off with a, with a lung full of, of tear gas. So, you know, again, these things are so unpredictable. And as much as you plan, you know, escape routes and making sure that you have exit strategies and meeting points and, and uh, all those things and, and how hot it's going to get before you get out, it's so unpredictable. It's so volatile. And, you know, those orders come so quickly um, to disperse crowds and the media gets caught up in that and you, you become part of it. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, again, when you're covering this, you should always be prepared for the idea that it's going to escalate very quickly and, um, you know, think of the best way to get out of there if you can. I, I you know, Jeremy, anything you'd like to add to that? And just to let the viewers know, too, if you see me looking down at the phone, it's not me trying to be rude. It's I'm taking questions from um, some of our colleagues at the other stations who are giving me kind of ideas to ask. But Jeremy, if you have anything you want to weigh in with this or, or uh, add to this, I would love to hear that as well. I, I think that's that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, you 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 hedge your bets. You, you hedge, hedge your bets when it comes to setting up for these sorts of things. Fortunately, compared to five or 10 years ago, we have the kind of technology that allows us uh, a little bit more uh, escapability 
we're not tethered as much to those huge live trucks where if you have to all of a sudden escape to safety, well, it's going to take 20 minutes for us to lower the mast and that sort of thing because we now have, uh, of course, basically internet-based backpacks that allow us to go live. So there is the ability to get out of there in a hurry. It's obviously not preferred, but, but that is a little bit more on our side. Uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, we were in the safety of a parking lot with no one around. And within a few minutes, you know, all of a sudden we have more than a dozen people looting the store behind us. And that got dangerous real quick. We all got out. Uh, we got to we got to a safe place and, and called 911. So, you know, we did our best to get to an area where we said, hey, there's no activity here. We can hang on. We can call the newsroom. It's a safe place. You know, but you but you you have to expect the unexpected, and uh, and certainly that uh, that has happened throughout the weekend. Well, fantastic, and Jeremy. You know, one of the things that, you know I was really wondering was about you know is, is you brought a really good point up is the fact that we are so mobile, right? And that makes it easier to escape, but it also makes it tempting because you can get closer. It's easier to get closer. It's easier to get um, you know access to those really incredible images and bring your right in the middle of the action. It's so much easier. And I think for a lot of folks, uh, that's a dangerous temptation because, you know, just as easily as you can get out of there, being that close, you can get enveloped by, by the, the situation very quickly as well. The ongoing rule that I have with my crew is if one member says, I don't feel good, we're done. And uh, so lately we've been going out with a crew of three. If we have a minority of one, we're out. If we all feel safe, we'll, we will continue. So it is, it's a gut feeling. Um, and quite frankly, we have pretty good guts. And, uh, you know, when you've done this long enough, you have an idea of when things could get hot. Uh, you position yourself in the best place possible. But if someone is uncomfortable, you have to trust that person and get out of the situation. I, let, let me ask you this. Um, Asher, Jeremy, you both talked about position, about scouting, where you think you'd be the safest. What are some of the factors that, that you make in deciding this? Like, obviously, um, from what we've seen between police, between protesters, you, you never know where you're going to get that next um, interaction from. So where do you position yourself? Do you believe where you're safe? And then I'm going to ask uh, our security consultants where they advise as well. So let's, uh, let's start with you, Usher, Jeremy, and go that way. Well, you know, one of the things that that we hope for is before we go into these situations is to have, you know, very open communication and dialogue with uh, the authorities, with law enforcement. Um, if it's organized, if it's if it's uh, staged correctly, then you should know what the best spots are for you, where you can go, where you can't go. We're seeing a lot, uh, just watching, you know, CNN the other night, uh, the interaction between a live reporter and a, and a police officer who was just telling him as he was live and he was walking, you need to keep walking. And he just kept telling me to keep walking. He says, where do I need to walk to? You know, he was looking for that direction. How, how far should I go? Where, where do you need me to be? And we're not finding that direction. You could see in that live shot, the officer was just say, just keep going. Just keep going. Well, where do I stop? At some point, we have to stop, right? So, you know, good communication between law enforcement and uh, the media and journalists is so important. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, what are we at? 2020, right? Six years ago. Uh, the first half of the week for from Ferguson, you know, was very difficult, very challenging. Once the Missouri State Patrol came in, they were much more organized about things. We knew where staging grounds were. We knew which areas were going to be perimetered off and, and locked down, essentially, what time they were going to be locked down. 
where everybody was going to be. So we had a better sense of how, how they were going to control these crowds. Again, um, that's basically what is supposed to be happening is crowd control. Um, when, they, when it gets to the point where it becomes sort of militarized in its response, then that's when you start to see uh, sort of a more volatile um, escalation. You see that sort of posturing that's more warlike rather than, you know, crowd control-like. And that's when you see tensions rise. And that's when you can sort of feel the electricity and the hair on the back of your neck go up, indicating that something's about to happen, something's going to go wrong, and you need to find a way out. But again, I think communication ahead of time, if possible. Um, but I feel like these days, you look at what's going on in these cities across the country, and there's very little communication prior to these incidents getting out of hand where you see the media getting caught up in, in, in the melee, essentially. Well, if you look at what happened with that CNN a few days ago, they were told a position to be and they were told that, you know what, you're OK here. But again, there was a, a situation now, whether they were talked to by local police or state police, we do know they were later detained by state police. And again, that, that's one of those situations where it just seems like maybe communication wasn't there. Maybe the situation had changed. Um, but but it, it, it makes you think, what about that led um, law enforcement maybe to think they were a threat? But more than that, what could they have done to be more proactively maybe out of a situation where they where, where they were put in that? But again, these are rapidly changing. So, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you about uh, about your kind of, um, I, I mean, gosh, you were marching with protesters. You were interacting with police all of, was it Sunday that I saw? Tell, yeah. tell me what you saw, um, Wayne, and what Usher said. Yeah, and, 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 and what Usher was, ta he was talking about in terms of Ferguson, and I was not there, but what I heard from friends was, you had um, generalized points where people would gather and those scenes became familiar over many days. And when police came in, uh, there was an understanding of generally where you could be, where you couldn't be, because you had a sort of a stationary general area. Whereas what we're seeing now, it's happening on South Side, the center of the city and the loop, the West Side, some of the suburbs now. Yeah, um, that, that caught me up there. So it's a totally uh, evolving, different kind of dynamic than what we've seen. And and that and that can make for a lot of trouble because you're you're not necessarily dealing with um, one mouthpiece from this law enforcement or that law enforcement. And so you know the playing field can change. And so that that makes everyone's job hard, including law enforcement, especially for law enforcement. Uh, you had mentioned about the protests that that I was at and covering. Uh, folks who were peacefully marching. Um, you know, I will tell you that a lot of a lot of what goes into a reporter's decision to be where they are at the time is the temperature of the crowd. And I will tell you that when you saw me in the crowd, um, we had determined, and it was not just me, it was a photojournalist, as well as another reporter, that, you know, these folks are peaceful and they are marching with purpose and they're exercising, uh, you know, their First Amendment rights and they're not looking to break stuff and hurt people. And in fact, we saw examples of, you know, someone who was on the sidewalk threw a water bottle at a line of police. And those protesters who we were covering ran over that person and said, you got to shut that down. Um, you know, so we felt comfortable in that crowd. That said, when it got to the end of the protest in one particular intersection, people began to disperse. And then all of a sudden there was a little bit of an argument or conflict with officers in a squad car. And within a matter of about two to three minutes, 
bam, all of a sudden you have uh, secondary law enforcement summoned, things got tense, they had to form a police line, and all of a sudden we had a lot of pushing and shoving, and it got volatile enough that my producer said, I don't like what I'm seeing, you guys are out. And you know what? Within a few minutes, we got out. And, and so it just kind of goes to show you that, like we were talking about, what is peaceful, what our gut tells us is totally fine to be in and cover and report the news can turn in a quick hurry. That makes perfect sense. Barbara, Bob, I'm going to ask you, um, when you when you come with the crews and kind of determine where they should be setting up, where a location is, what are some of the things you're looking for? You were both in law enforcement careers. Obviously, you're probably able to read not only the body language, but you have the relationships with law enforcement to know, hey, guys, where do you think is good? Tell me some of the things that you look for in making those determinations. Well, if there's police on the scene, at least we can talk to them and let them know, hey, we're here to do some shots here. Let us know where you want us, or if we need you, I'm going to wave to you that we're going to need some help or we're going to get the heck out of there. But the thing is, your security person has to make the call for the journalist and your camera guy. If he doesn't feel comfortable for you guys being there, you have to listen to him and get out of there. Because, you know, I know a lot of the guys, they want to get that extra shot. The, the journalist wants to get that extra interview. And he doesn't realize that things around him are kind of getting bad so that's why i always say hey we got to get out of here or i'm using the cell phone thing we got a call let's get out of here but i'd like to see if there's police on the scene introduce ourselves we're here to do some taping what do you want us that's the main thing we have to feel secure and make sure that our people the news guy your photographer has to be able to do his job and we have their backs that's the main thing and the, and the other thing we look for is if there's like opportunists in the area too, that um, that we have to fend off her because um, they're there, you know, for an opportunity to either take something or whatever, disrupt something. And um, then we know it's not good to be there or if, the, if they're in bigger numbers or something like that where we can't even control that. And you are making an excellent point. And I will tell you that throughout the weekend, some of the things that I saw was people on occasion following around our crew and, you know, pointing and looking and it's the old, maybe something doesn't seem right. And so what I will say is I will alert the crew saying, just keep your eye on that guy or the girl, you know, in this particular mask, just to be safe. And that's part of the situation awareness that we talked about earlier. And, you know, um, as it turned out, uh, one of those people uh, ran up to a photographer I was with on Saturday and pushed him for no reason. And that guy ran away. Fortunately, my photographer was fine. We reported it to the station. Uh, you know, the guy ran off. Everything was all right because he was probably 90 pounds dripping wet. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, that's, it's, it's all part of situational awareness. If someone looks, keep eyes on them. And, you know, one of the really important things, and I don't know if you guys touched on this before I came on, was the, the extra care that you have to take for the photographer. Um, you know, you, you talk about the reporters, right? We've got a microphone and we're listening in our earpiece. Um, and, and, but we've got all of our peripheral vision you know, there for us. We can't see behind us, but we can see all around us. We can turn, we can spin around even. But that photographer, he's focused on the reporter with one eye closed, covered with a, you know, with a viewfinder. So they've got one eye 
and barely any field of view to see anything that's going on around them. So, you know, one of the, the most important things that you have to do as a reporter is, you know, you're focused on the viewer, right? You're looking into that lens, but you've got to keep an eye out for your photographer who literally is almost completely blind to what's happening behind him and on at least one side of his face. Um, I, I had an incident where my photographer was filming looting and uh, literally somebody came up behind him in, and just sucker punched him right in the side of the face because he couldn't see from that side. The, the mistake that was made was that we were on the wrong side of him because we, he was filming, right? We should have been on the side where he couldn't see so that we could be his eyes on that side. And we should have spanned out. We learned that obviously in that, in that situation, but it's one of those things that it's easy to forget about how little the photographer can see in these situations because they're focused on that frame and making sure everything fits in it. And, and that is their field of view. So it's one of the things that we, we talk about um, as crews now is, is making sure that that photographer, one, is safe. And also, if you do have to get out of there, you know, I, I had a friend, Sam Winslade, who was with me in Ferguson, who was also in Seattle a couple of days ago with uh, NBC News correspondent Jolene Kent when she was hit with that, you know, that firework. And uh, I noticed that when they when security grabbed the reporter, they took off running and everybody started running. And then I couldn't see where they went because I was seeing this in the field of, of Sam's camera. He was left way behind. So, you know, it, 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 the instinct is obviously to grab the person who's in front of the camera, but you, got, you can't forget the crew member who's also shooting. So that's one of the things that, you know, I, I found was interesting that I've seen over the last couple of days. And Usher, obviously I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, both John Rizzo with IBW and myself, Raz and Siddiqui with NABET, represent uh, just those very guys who are talking about, the guys who not only have an obstruction of half their peripheral vision, but also have maybe $20,000 worth of gear that they are uh, um, attractively marching around um, sometimes. So John, kind of tell me some of the things that you've heard from some of your people about um, how proactive maybe the companies have been or anything that they need or have asked for. Um, regarding how to go about this. And then, just so you guys can start preparing, I'm gonna talk uh, with Usher um, uh, as well about just the the whole situation with both dealing with the pandemic and at the same time, a protest and how that's kind of changed any anything we've ever dealt with. So kind of we're reinventing what we're doing. John, let's start with uh, what you're hearing from your guys. Well, there's, it's great, uh, great segue because um, one, of the, one of the suggestions that have come up from from my stewards over at uh, WGN and how to keep our people safer, and I know this this stinks for photogs because you know there's a love of the art and a lot of the cameras are larger, so they they supposedly give you such such a great image. But the one thing for security that they've been talking about is camouflage with when they're within these crowds, and that means smaller cameras, more compact cameras, where you actually have the LCD screen rather than the viewfinder. So now you have your peripheral vision open back up, um, smaller cameras or cell phones um, that that if you're going to do a walk and talk in the street, that you're going to blend into a crowd way better um, for this type of activity. And that way, if things escalate, it goes in your pocket. If you're doing a live broadcast, you're probably bringing um, what's called a Jujero unit or a backpack unit with you. Um, and then if things go sideways in a heartbeat, you basically throw everything in your pocket. Your your IDs and credentials are hidden uh, unless you're near a police officer. 
you show them that and say, where can I go? You know, how can I be protected in, immediately so that you can separate yourself from the crowd once you find uh, a police officer or, or proper security or, or, you know, that line that you can get on the other side of. So our folks are, are trying to figure out ways that they can basically camouflage themselves because that seems to be the only protection. You're not camouflaged if you're wearing a helmet and gas mask and, and everything else. Um, so if you can't get to your vehicle, if you, you can't get out of that crowd, what's the, the safest and easiest way to blend in until you can find that escape route? And that's having smaller gear, um, having the ability to go live with micro transmitters and things like that off your cell phone or whatever. So the, that's that seems to be the easiest thought of how to stay safe. It might not be the prettiest feed that you're going to send back or the clearest images uh but you're going to go you, you hopefully go home in one piece so that that's what we've been been hearing as far as suggestions and yes there there could be some resistance to that but uh all in all the 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 desk is the, the desk will assign you to go wherever it's it's the the um uh you know the the, the managers um that are there the news directors who are completely sympathetic we haven't dealt with discipline for members who have spoken up and said hey no way in fact they're very supportive if you say no way get your butt out of there and and that's been great uh we've worked with the companies uh obviously during the pandemic to to limit exposure um but th this is a whole new animal that's that's requiring us to put ourselves right back in harm's way and i don't you know until until the protests die down or until the next protest you know, I don't know how we, we stay safe, um, you know, until, you know, until this news cycle, you know, relaxes itself a little bit and we go on to shoot other things and, and stay safe. Well, I, I think you bring an interesting point on, and this is, again, what, what I want to bring um, both of you guys and both my uh, veteran reporters here to, to weigh in, both Usher and Jeremy. Um, this is just just a very different situation. We have gone through the whole procedure of dealing with uh, protests before. John, you very aptly said how we sometimes camouflage, use of small cameras. I've seen the guys at Channel 2 have been very proactive with using the little, um, gosh, I forgot what they're called, the GoPros on sticks and just um, not being identified as mainstream media. Um, but, but, but getting their images, getting the video across and doing so in a safe manner but here's where safety gets kind of a little bit questionable because now we have big crowds when just two weeks ago, we were told to avoid interactions altogether. We were told most of us who aren't essential workers, stay in your home, don't get in the middle of this. This is very different. Jeremy, Usher, tell me tell me your takes on this. It's, um, I, you know, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, there's, there's no good solution. There is the best, worst, I guess uh, a possible outcome that you're kind of looking for, and that is some sort of compromise as to social distancing, but at the same time trying to uh, cover a story where that can't be done. Uh, and that means wearing as much PPE or for instance, just kind of, you know, a mask and you got that on the entire time. And by the end of the day, uh, I'll tell you what, you, you feel something uh, miserable for, all the nurses and healthcare workers who have to do that on a day-to-day -day basis when they've been going to work for years, who do that regularly because it's not comfortable and it's not fun. Um, but you know, you, um, for instance, uh, during some of, of the marches, myself and my photojournalist 
uh, have tried as best as we could to cover appropriately, but perhaps be on the sidewalk, but perhaps maybe shoot from one street away. Now the problem with that is you can't always do that. When you're following a march that's on the move, uh, Ronzo, like the one that you saw on Sunday, we couldn't do that. And so, you know, we did our best that we possibly could, uh, but that's a dangerous situation. The more and more we find out about COVID-19, kind of the, the, um, the most at-risk data that we are seeing is, um, and, and people keep bring up, bringing up the uh, scientific study about the choir group and how COVID-19 was spread uh, through singing. And, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of the protests that we are seeing, people shouting, people screaming, and they are chanting. And is that much different from the that we've seen? The answer is no. So we are at risk. You know, I'm doing my best not to get up real close to people who are shouting, who are screaming, as is the photojournalist. But, you know, it's um, you can't have it both ways. You can't always be six feet away and covering a story like this. So, you know, you do the best job you can um, in, in circumstances that are not ideal. Well, what was impressive to me was if you looked at, at uh, Minneapolis that first night of protests, the chopper shots, you could see the crowd was spread out. And <laughs> I was really impressed by that. And I said, that's really incredible that they're that self-conscious and aware of the fact that they are protesting in the midst of a pandemic that they kept social distancing. And I said, that will not last. And it clearly, clearly it did not last. And it's so easy. I mean, it happens to me now, even when I'm doing a regular interview. I mean, we have what we call zero touch interviews that we do where we set up, you know, boom arms and a, and a microphone and the person literally walks into frame and they're 10 feet away from you and you literally don't get within, you know, spitting distance of them, let alone breathing distance of them. So, um, but it, it, it's, it's so easy to forget because we've been in isolation for months. We've been restricted in, in our movements. It, it's so easy to get out of the mentality that we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're now covering a protest. And when you're in that mindset, it may be the end of the night and you go, oh my gosh, I was literally within inches of people's faces all around me. And that is potentially explosive when it comes to what we've been talking about for months about social distancing. Everything that we've been talking about and doing for two, three, eight months goes out the window essentially when you have thousands of people congregating in such close quarters. And we're already seeing the numbers in the tens of thousands of new cases of COVID-19. And you know, over the next couple of weeks, unfortunately, uh, you know, scientifically, it stands to reason that we're going to see even more explosive numbers when it comes to people who have been out at these protests, who have been in close contact with people they don't know. I mean, how do you contact tra trace a, a protest? You can't, essentially. And so and that's one of the reasons I said, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, you know what, maybe it makes sense. I know we talk about blending in and all that kind of thing, but the only surefire way to say stay safe is just wear a gas mask the whole time you're out, essentially, and protect your, you know, your eyes and your nose and your mouth. Um, but again, you know, you, you talk about this from prior years, and you know, anybody that's wearing a helmet in, in some of these situations, you know, sometimes the, the the feedback, you know, there's backlash for that, saying you're you're hyping the situation. You're wearing a helmet or a gas mask when there's really no need to do that on television. You can see people around you are not doing that. But there are other safety considerations that come into play because of COVID-19. And I'll be honest, I, I don't mind if people think, okay, he's being silly wearing that, that getup 
while covering a, a peaceful protest. But it's not just the peaceful protest that's a threat. It's 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 uh, it's the virus as well. And so we might have to rethink um, sort of that that you know that that sense of feeling embarrassed about how much we're portraying on air about how serious the situation is because you do have to protect yourself and your family and anybody else that you're in close contact with outside of that protest because and, you're bringing that home. Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, the Society of Professional Journalists uh, sent out a, an email probably about 30 minutes to an hour ago saying, hey, we're aware of the increased number of attacks on journalists as all this is going on. So you have layers upon layers of concern, whether you're talking about uh, just general danger health danger, and then journalists and photojournalists being targeted. And you know, one other thing that's different about this that, that wasn't there in Ferguson six years ago is, you know, for the last five years, uh, this mantra of fake news has permeated society. And um, Raza, you know it. I mean, we've experienced it outside of protests. Uh, people yelling fake news at us when we're in a live truck for NBC or, you know, telling me I've been told to go home back to my country. I was born in Skokie, so I don't know where to go. But <laughs> the point is uh, that, you know, there is uh, there has been a ratcheting up of animosity towards uh, journalists over the last few years. And that is playing and feeding into this as well. I mean, some of the things that we are seeing on the streets here, there was an Australian crew just the other day where you saw, um, you know, a, a police officer in riot gear. This, this photographer has literally got his camera like this, and the police officer, in the heat of the moment, I don't know what preceded this, but didn't see any, like, any reason for him to be shoving that, that cameraman the way he did, threw his shield into his chest, and then punched his camera in the lens. Uh, that's unheard of. We, we, we've never seen that kind of, of, of danger coming from, you know, the police, you know, in addition to the protesters, and, you know, my daughter just brought something down for me because I don't think a lot of people have an idea of what some of this, you know, the, these um, these tactics look like. For example, this, if you can see it, I'm gonna hold it up. Yeah, that is a wooden pellet. This is something that was being fired at crowds, you know, back in Ferguson, and that causes a huge welt, you know, a, a bruise. That that's it's not gonna kill you, but it's gonna sting pretty bad. Um, the other thing that 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 we came into contact with a lot of times was this. You... Um, Usher, it looks like we may have... Uh... Okay. Oh, that wait. is a CS gas canister, right? You can see it right there. Um, I'll... That's yep. still. Um, and that that's the end of it. Um, the, the gas comes out like this, right? It's probably got some CS still in there that I'm not going to taste, but... That as a projectile, if that hits you in the head, it's in the eye, sure. that's dangerous. You see some of the things that are going on right now, even the clearing of uh, the protesters outside the White House the other day, and they were firing at incredibly close range. Uh, we, you know, there's that picture going around about the, the one protester who took a, a canister to the eye. Um, these things are incredibly dangerous. This is, this is heavy duty. And again, one of the things that always used to concern me when you're covering a protest is never to have your back to the police. Because you don't know the projectiles. I mean, you get water bottles and rocks and bricks and things like that coming on the other side. You can get some of this stuff fired at you know a high velocity. You take that to the back of the head, and it's lights out. So again, you know these are very tense situations, and you got to take all of those things into consideration because you know again you're under fire from all sides.
sometimes. And so. uh, show, show of hands uh, for everyone uh, listening right now, how many people have taken a, a lung full of uh, tear gas or uh, or similar type of deterrent? One thing you don't realize, one thing you don't realize is when you get tear gassed and you go back to your hotel room and you take a shower, anything that's on your body, it turns into steam and hits you again. So you can tear gas yourself. So you got to be real careful about that kind of thing. And um, it sticks to your clothes as well. Yes. So, yeah. You know, right to the dry cleaner. Yeah. Not fun, folks. You know, one of the things I'm going to take a, a little opportunity to kind of uh, self-promote what we're doing here. Um, you talked about the whole mentality of fake news and, and journalists are out there with an agenda. And as a matter of fact, that was my whole uh, initiative in kind of starting this. Uh, uh, not, now you probably can't see what I have, the media essential workers, because I wanted to chronicle back when the pandemic started, what it was that we were as journalists doing, not going out there with an agenda, but leaving our families, leaving our loved ones to go out there and perform a public service, kind of tell our story. And it was um, very much different for us because as journalists were for the most part social beasts, but having been socially distanced, uh, told you couldn't be with your reporter, couldn't be with fellow photographers, I, I found this was probably the best way for us to keep in contact, to be able to do it via online and, and be able to vent. So that was one of the things that I did to kind of at least get our message out there. But um, Usher, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with what you were saying is that that's just another tactic that we are kind of having to deal with or address. And I'm going to bring um, both Barbara and, and Bob Lazo in on this because being law enforcement yourself um, in a previous life, maybe you could tell us how we can, um, especially in, in protest situations like this, develop that rapport and relationship with the, um, with the law enforcement there to make sure that we're not... Um, getting on the wrong side of things in terms of coverage, in terms of being neutral, but still respectful enough where we're both able to do our jobs. Well, being from this vantage point right now, we respect what you're doing and, and um, getting the word out there, getting the pictures, um, performing a, a valuable service to the public is really um, something and it, sh it should be appreciated. And um, as far as, Police go, I mean, everything's so supercharged right now. The protests, the police, everybody is just on edge and you you just can't predict what's gonna happen on any side. So um, like I recommended before, staying on the fringe, but also going, if you get an opportunity, not so much in this situation, cause you might not have that opportunity, but introducing yourself, letting them know and asking them, you know, uh, deferring to their authority and their, you know, it always feels good to the police officer that you're deferring to them. You know, what, what can I do here? You know, there was a time when I remember we used to have a place for the press and now that's, you know, that's out the window. It's been a, a while since that happened, but yeah. Bob, there's anything to add to that. It's yeah. It's always good to let officers in the area know that you're there and just give them a heads up. We're going to be filming here. Let us know if this is okay for us. If not, we'll move to the area that you want us to. But like my wife said, always give the police officer who's on site, let him know, give him the heads up this way. Hey, okay, if you do need help, he's going to come and help you too. That's the main thing. You want as much help as you can in case something those does go down fast. That's that's a good idea. Make make the officers aware that you're there. That's it. That's what I, what I recommend. 
So for a security perspective and, and also the union perspective, uh, we kind of touched on uh, situational awareness, trying to blend in, opening up some line of communication between press and authorities out on the scene. Any other tips that you might give in terms of making sure that we are safe in these very volatile, volatile situations? Yeah, I would say just, you know, like you were saying, like uh, going in with the crowd and camouflaging, but you're also um, endangering yourself in some ways as well. Like if you're inside the crowd, because I would recommend staying outside the crowd and not moving with the crowd because you don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes there, you know, it involves pushing and shoving and, you know, emotions are running high. Um, and just, uh, well, I wear a mask when I go outside. I, you know, I, it's probably hard for you to, to um, do that and, um, you know, talk or whatever, or be effective, you know, in describing a situation. But, but if you can, I mean, I would recommend that. And, um, and just knowing, um, just knowing when it's, it's not a, a good situation. You have brought that up, Jeremy, a couple of times about uh, being able to, um, and you have the benefit of having three people. And I think that's always a good combination where you have someone watching, you have someone doing whatever, you know, like you're all three not doing the same thing. And therefore you can, you know, you could see what someone could always be like on point, seeing what's going on and knowing um, when to get out. And just, you know, you, the major thing is that you stay safe as well. You know, this, you know, for all of us, any job is that it um, comes down to being safe in that and being able to go home at the end of the day. Um, and again, that's that's what the unions are here for. That's why after hearing uh, from what a lot of our members were saying, I wanted to get John in on this conversation and talk about what um, what we can do. And I know after is engaged in this as well. John, I know you got to run here, but kind of um, is there any parting thought that you kind of want to leave us with? Uh, um, anything you want to share before you head on out? I it, it's you know I'm learning a lot here from from everybody's perspective and it's helpful helpful for me to keep our our folks safe um everybody please stay safe uh i i know it's hard it's evolving the good news is that the temperatures coming down uh protests are becoming more peaceful uh looters don't respect a six foot social distancing regardless of the dots on the floor uh, they're gonna climb over each other like ants on a hill to get uh, gym shoes or or uh, stuff from the beauty salon or whatever you're witnessing them, you know, throw something through a window uh, and then they go right back in the crowd and then they breathe on you. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, bathe, uh, bathe with Purell if you, if you have to, um, you know, we'll probably see an uptick in the state uh, from these protests that I would not doubt. I mean, we saw the uptick uh, when it came to voting in Wisconsin and things like that. So I would have, no doubt that in these states where there are these, you know, very close knit um, protests, you're going to see an uptick. And, and, and it's hard for our reporters, our photogs, our, our producers uh, to stay out of that. Unfortunately, staying on the fringe of those crowds is near impossible because all it takes is one shift and you're engulfed. You know, you were going one way and you were at the back of the crowd and then they turn a corner and surround you before you know it, um, stay safe, stay, stay camouflaged as much as you can. If the hairs on the back of your neck go up, 
you go backwards, get out of there as fast as possible. And uh, hopefully everybody comes home at the end of the day to their families. And, uh, and uh, you know, like Raza said, we're, we're here on the union side to protect our people. And, and, and you guys have uh, saying after and, and they should be protecting you as well. And so far, everyone's doing a good job. And, uh, you know, as things are changing, news is changing. And uh, might be a good thing, might be a bad thing when we come out of this. But um, bottom line is it's going to evolve and, and hopefully... Thanks, thanks to Raza, we're going to learn some stuff and, and uh, stay on top of this uh, as we go with these exchange of ideas, and it's very, very helpful. So, thank you, Raza. Thank you so much, uh, John, for uh, participating in this. I know you were very proactive in, in, in talking with me as we were dealing with unemployment for our sports freelancers when, when COVID first started and games were put on hold. And I think it's very important for us to continue this dialogue between not only both your union and ours, but also after us. So we look forward to uh, continuing that. Thank you for joining us today, John. I'm gonna punch you out here. And um, just wanted to ask uh, Usher, Jeremy, any other uh, questions you have for our law enforcement experts while we have them here? Anything we, we need to discuss that I may have forgotten to discuss? You guys are the professional uh, professionals when it comes to asking questions and soliciting answers. So I'm gonna defer to both of you. You know, one of the things that I just I love to be able to do is uh, just kind of go over uh, a checklist, so to speak. And I think for the most part, the things that I will add to my arsenal will be, how can I be more on the periphery? I think that was a, a very good suggestion. It's not always practical, but I think that that's something that to consider. Um, trying to blend in more. Uh, I have seen other news crews take off their um, little cube on the, on the uh, stick mic, and maybe that might make us less of a target going forward. So those are maybe some discussions that I could have with my crew going out to see if that might make everyone else feel a little comfortable. Maybe uh, we do have some smaller cameras that still keep uh, the quality overall pretty high. And uh, particularly when covering some of the protests, we're gonna do a lot of walking that's going to save the photographers back pretty well. So, um, you know, that's something that we will all also discuss. So there's, there's some things to consider. Yeah, and, you know, again, we all know that um, like first responders, that's what we do. We run towards the, the location, the event, the incident that everybody's running away from, right? So we have to relearn some of our thinking when it comes to the way that these protests are unfolding. And it's not always the best practice for us to run right into the epicenter of these protests and get that amazing shot of what's happening out there. Because, you know, there are other ways to tell this story. We have helicopters in the air. Um, you know, you can get these shots from further away effectively. I've seen shots that are that are from buildings shooting down above the crowd just in, you know, in Washington, D.C., they did that the other day, and you really got a sense of what was happening without being sort of crowded in amidst, you know, the, the, the sea of people. And I think we just have to mentally start thinking about that, that this is not just about getting those images out and telling you what's happening right at the, the center of it, but doing it at a, at a safe distance as, as much as possible, again, as we are all contending with a global pandemic. I mean, that has to be front and center. You know, anybody in that crowd could be carrying and any one of those people could infect thousands and thousands of people and you included. So again, you know, while 
we, we got to take our reporter journalist hats off a little bit and start thinking a little bit more like mental, you know, like like public health officials about how would public health officials recommend we cover this event? And, um, you know, because there's danger coming from all sides, right? You know, you've got danger from, from in some cases, from uh, the law enforcement that has to, to make sure that, that, you know, life and property is safe. And you may get caught up in that situation. And you have protesters and amidst those protesters you have bad actors who have more nefarious purposes uh, afoot who, who really want to agitate the situation and then you've got the germs and the viruses floating around so you know there's there's a lot more danger out there and so we have to rethink um you know that that sort of visceral notion that we need to run towards it you know no we have to stop assess look and find out how to tell that story in the safest way possible I think that was well said. Anything uh, you'd like to add, Bob Barbara, about uh, your take on these things? You're, you're journalists seem very astute, and they know what's going on. And like I said, we appreciate them. And um, obviously, they're very aware of their circumstances. And um, and just continue to be safe. And um, you you guys seem like you have a good feel for what's going on, and it's a, a great thing. More than anything, the awareness is what's going to save you in the long run. And I think just this communication, just the ability for us all to talk and be able to get our questions answered by the people that we trust to come out with us. I know uh, they're referred to as fixers when they're overseas. You're referred to as uh, friends over here. I'm sure you raised your hand like a kid in a classroom. So yeah, yeah, just, just one last thing that I think is so important. And, you know, if you feel unsafe, do not hesitate to tell your management they have to listen to you. If you don't feel like you're getting the kind of response that you, you, you should be getting from management about your safety and your concerns, go higher. Talk to your union representatives. Talk to your colleagues. Talk to whoever you need to because in the end, you are responsible for your safety. And if you're not feeling like you're getting that support, hopefully you are. But if you don't feel like you're getting that support or you're getting pushback from management or you're getting pushback from the editors who want you to be in the mix of things, you got to push back and make sure that you are safe and do that without fear. Well said. Can't add anything to that. Thank you, uh, Usher Qureshi, uh, Bob Lazo, Barbara, Jeremy, uh, John Rizzo, who was with us earlier for um, having this conversation, for getting the word out, to be able to talk not only amongst ourselves, but to our members who've been kind of watching this and our friends who have been watching this. Let's keep the dialogue going. And uh, thank you guys all for, uh, for joining me today. Thank you okay. for having me. Be safe, everyone. Be safe. Okay. Take care. Yeah, be safe. Yeah, be safe. Okay.